The NFL preseason is here, so check out the Ringer Fantasy Football Show on Spotify or wherever you get your podcasts. Also, if you need fantasy rankings, we've got our rankings and sleepers at fantasyfootball.theringer.com. So come listen to Danny Kelly, Danny Heifetz, and me, Craig Horlbeck, on the Ringer Fantasy Football Show. This episode of The Town is brought to you by FX's Feud, Capote versus the Swans. The second installment in Ryan Murphy's Feud anthology tells the story of acclaimed writer Truman Capote, once a confidant to society's most elite women, whom he nicknamed the Swans. Starring Naomi Watts, Diane Lane, Chloe Sevigny, Calista Flockhart, Demi Moore, Molly Ringwald, and Tom Hollander. For your Emmy consideration, visit fxnetworks.com FYC. This episode is brought to you by Hulu. Riley Keough and Lily Gladstone star in Hulu's limited series Under the Bridge, a chilling true crime story based on the acclaimed novel. Hailed as a riveting and heartbreakingly realistic work by the Chicago Sun-Times and featuring excellent performances, according to Time magazine, the series is for your Emmy consideration in all categories, including outstanding limited series and outstanding supporting actress in a limited series for Keough and Gladstone. For more information, visit fyc.hulu.com. All right, it is Friday, August 5th. Happy weekend. Back in 2013, not that long ago, actually, about 100 million households in this country subscribed to a cable or satellite television service. Comcast, DirecTV, you name it. By this year, it'll be down to about 70 million. Are you one of them? I am, actually, but producer Craig, I'm betting you are not. That's correct. (laughs) In a 2021 survey, only 34% of adults between 18 and 29 got a cable or satellite package, compared to 81% of those 65 or older. I'm somewhere in the middle. I am not 65. By 2026, it'll be down to about 57 million subscribers, save projections. These latest numbers are pretty grim, and it's an acceleration of what everybody knows is cord cutting. Eventually, it will be zero probably, replaced by digital streaming services, TikTok, other things that have yet to be invented. So what does that mean for these cable TV networks, which still exist and in most cases are still pretty profitable? In a decade, they've gone from expansion mode, the explosion of niche networks like VH1 2 and VH1 Latino and ESPN 5. Now it's a fight for survival. To discuss the future of cable TV, I wanted to have on a true expert, someone like Tom Rogers. He has been around the cable business pretty much since its inception. He joined NBC in 1987 as president of NBC Cable. He helped launch CNBC and MSNBC, as well as a range of other cable channels. He was the CEO of TiVo back in the day, and he's currently executive chairman of Engine Gaming and Media. Tom has amazing insights on where the cable business is today, where it's going, and what it means for all consumers, people like you and me. So that's what we're going to talk about today. We're also going to get into a little bit of the more newsy things like what HBO and uh, the cable channels that are owned by Warner Brothers Discovery, what they announced yesterday, the numbers were also pretty grim, and what the future is of that company. So we'll get into it all in today's show. From The Ringer and Puck, I'm Matt Bellany, and this is The Town. All right, we are here with Tom Rogers. Tom, welcome. Thanks for having me. Great to be here. Yeah, this is a guest I've wanted to have on the show a while. I've followed your career. Uh, I was a TiVo shareholder when you were the CEO of TiVo, and you've been one of the most influential figures in the growth of cable television over the years. Um, And now we are in this weird spot where 
the cable TV universe is declining and declining at a pretty significant rate. Um, and yet the streaming world is having troubles with its growth. And it puts the entire business in this weird position of, I, I talk to people all the time, they don't know what to bet on. And we saw it yesterday with these Warner Brothers Discovery earnings that they reported. Um, I'm curious to get your take on it before we dive into the other stuff. The numbers on streaming weren't great. The numbers on linear TV weren't great. Where does it put a company like this? Well, it puts a company in a position of having inherited a company uh, owned and managed by uh, another company that should never have owned and managed it, and that's AT&T. And uh, they've clearly got some digging out to do as a result of uh, that chapter in these uh, in these assets. Um, you know, they got a lot of balancing going on. To your point, uh, they got to see how bad the decline is in linear and how good the growth in streaming may be before they make a clear commitment to one course or another. So everything on that uh, earnings call was about balance. Um, when um, I was at uh, GE and uh, David and I were working together, Jack Welch was... Uh, it's David Zaslaw, the CEO of Warner Brothers Discovery. Jack Welch used to say, look, any idiot can manage for the short term and any idiot can manage for the long term. A really good manager does both. And I could picture uh, the uh, spirit of Jack Welch whispering in David Zaslav's ear, uh, balancing both here is uh, streaming and linear for the time being. So um, my takeaway was they, uh, they clearly were buying some time there. They got some great assets. Uh, I think the combination of HBO Max and Discovery Plus is very smart. Just look at Disney, who has not yet been able to consolidate Hulu because of the ownership issues there, which I think has really thwarted growth. Uh, Paramount has not uh, put Showtime into the Paramount Plus, has not put Showtime into the same bundle, which is a bit of a head scratcher for me. So I think they took the right course there, and I think that will make some uh, meaningful progress in the growth of their uh, streaming bundle. Yeah, it's interesting, you know, because this company does have tons of great assets. For those who don't know, they have all the Turner networks, they have CNN, they have now via Discovery, all of the you know, HGTV and the Discovery Channel and all of its spinoffs. Um, plus, they have the Warner Brothers Film Studio. And this is something that the CEO, David Zasloff, has never dealt with before film. Um, I had my take on the whole Batgirl demise. Um, it seems like this was just them writing something off because they could and not dealing with the overall larger issues at DC. They announced yesterday that they will have a 10-year plan for what DC movies will be like. And I just wonder if, you know, I know this is a little bit outside your purview, but, um, you know, the, the DC debacle on Batgirl, what's your take? Well, what's in my purview is uh, I've uh, known David for a long time. In fact, hired him into the cable industry when I was president of NBC Cable. And uh, he is all about relationships. So I don't think he took this step lightly. He uh, very much, uh, by all accounts, has done a great job being a newcomer to Hollywood and making sure that uh, he created the relationships you need to be successful there. And he had to know the repercussions of something like this within the creative community. So I don't think he took it lightly. So my sense is they had to do it because it was one terrible movie. God awful movie is my guess. And uh, <laughs> they just felt that the, the, the damage to the franchise 
was just not worth taking at a point where they are putting a lot in the DC franchise as something that can really push forward both the theatrical business and the streaming business. All right. So on to the larger issue here, and this is something that that Warner Brothers Discovery is dealing with. It's something that all the companies are dealing with because we're coming off of this time where for three or four years, the stock market was going crazy with valuations of companies that were all in on streaming. There was the Netflix model. If you were putting all of your resources into streaming services, you were going to be rewarded by the market. That has all changed over the last six to eight months. Netflix is down about 62% this year. All the other entertainment companies are down significantly on the market. They're all sitting there saying, but wait, we bet everything on streaming. This was supposed to be the future. And in the meantime, their linear cable networks, the things that have been actually producing the billions of dollars in profits over the last two decades, those are now in decline too. So where are they supposed to bet in this in my environment? Do you know the, the Zaslav approach is we're going to be responsible about streaming. We're going to play to be competitive. We're not going to be playing to win. We are not going to do what Netflix is doing, which is just a fire hose of content that may or may not hit. And then at the same time, they are going to lean into their other diversified assets, such as theatrical films. They're going to put films in theaters and try to build a real Disney-like tentpole business based on DC and some of their other assets. But for around the industry, I just keep hearing people say, like, what are we supposed to do? What is Where are we supposed to invest here? Or is this all just going to be a smaller ecosystem in the future? Well, it's the right question to ponder. Uh, the one thing you can bet on here is people aren't going to go without television. Um, so if the court is being cut and court cutting is accelerating, you can bet for sure that those homes are going to become streaming homes. And if they aren't already, because as you well know, there are plenty of people with the cable satellite bundle who already have streaming services. Uh, so streaming is going to grow and the cable satellite bundle is going to decline. The issue is the speed with which both of those happen. My view is that the market got all excited about legacy companies and streaming because of Disney. And Disney was putting up headline numbers on subscriber growth that bore no relationship to reality because 40% of those numbers were coming from 50 cent subs in India where people were subscribing because of cricket and nonetheless, the street, for whatever reasons, was hailing their subscriber growth as if, look at this, a legacy company can turn on a switch and become a global player in streaming. And that was kind of silly. And at the same time, the market was totally discounting the decline of the bundle. When you look at a company like Disney and you take ESPN and its other services, they were probably taking out close to 30% of the affiliate fees coming out of the cable industry. And they were, they were probably on, you know, in terms of uh, what they were getting out of a home, uh, a cable satellite home, $17, $18, $19 a sub. For people who don't even watch ESPN, a lot of them. That that's the brilliance of that business and is that it, they made so much money off people who never watched a second of the content. I, I used to say when uh, I was asked to explain the, the cable business to the late, great Brandon Tartikoff at NBC, who would scratch his head about why we were spending money getting into CNBC, I said, Brandon, 
The first thing you got to understand is 99.7% of television viewers at any given time will not be watching CNBC. You have to understand that we are going to make an enormous business out of rejecting 99.7% of viewers at any given time. And that you're right. The beauty of the model is you get paid for every home and only a fraction of homes may be watching you. Now, people say, well, you were at NBC. You made the transition from broadcast to cable. You got, it can be done. And I said, yeah, but there was a big difference. Cable was a much better business model that we were transforming the company toward than the broadcast business ever was, which existed only on uh, the basis of advertising revenue and never had the dual revenue stream of both advertising and subscription fees. This is going from a much better model to a worse model. So it's a tough transition. And the, and the street never understood that. Well, they are. I mean, most of these streamers are adding advertising tiers, so they will have some combination of ads plus subscriber fees plus whatever the free services are. I mean, they're they're trying. Yeah, they 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 are, and the model is going to improve by virtue of that. Uh, but I, I, you know, I think it's a bit short sighted of the market to say, well, streaming may not be. Uh, may not be here or it's going to stall out or subscriber growth isn't going to develop into the model we thought it was. Look at Netflix. It's in 100 million homes in the United States. It's in more homes than any cable satellite service ever was. The problem is, and I can't explain this because Reed Hastings and company are as smart as they come and we started the whole streaming to the television business to, to television set uh, business with them when I was at TiVo. They let 30 million people have access to this incredible premium product without paying for it. They don't have a subscription problem. They have a payment problem. Whoa, the, them's fighting words. My producer, Craig, will come at you. He is one of those people. <laughs> well, uh, I will tell you that the, the cable industry and HBO fought like hell for people stealing their satellite signals with big satellite dishes for a long time. And finally, that was closed off and a real uh, satellite television business developed in the United States, which uh, served rural America far better. And uh, you can't let uh, a third of your viewers uh, go without paying. Now, they're. Yeah, I mean, that, and that is once they are used to it. For free. I mean, this is something that I think the news industry is is trying to grapple with. Once you give something to somebody for free, it's very hard to get them to pay. So let's talk about the cable channel ecosystem here, because if you look at the projections, it's the the bundle is going to con continue to get fewer and fewer subscribers. It's going to be a downward spiral where at some point these networks are going to be underwater. Some of them already are, and they're going to start to disappear or consolidate. What let's do a little game here. What do you think the survivors are going to be? And what are the criteria for whether a cable channel will survive as the number of subscribers gets lower and lower? Well, you saw the biggest deterioration in cable satellite first were on kids' channels. Um, right. I mean, if you look at ratings over the last five or six years, uh, 20 to 30 percent decline year over year over year for. Nickelodeon and uh, Disney Channel. Which makes sense. My kid never watches live right. television because everything is available on his favorite services or he's watching YouTube or whatever. As demographics, uh, younger and younger uh, ho homes get uh, created and the older demo ages out, you're going to have uh, less and less people who think about linear television is in any way meaningful to them. 
where does that number bottom out? People used to think there was a floor somewhere in the 40, 45 million range on a combination of live sports and news. We're seeing so much now by way of live sports being bid away either by tech companies or the linear television companies getting the rights to put it on their digital outlets, their streaming outlets, that I'm not so sure that sports is going to be the savior of uh, uh, the bundle in terms of creating that floor. So what is? I mean, I've always thought that it would be sports that kept the lights on for at least another decade. I mean, the NFL's deal with the networks, it's like 11 years down the line. So you think that's all, you know, the more and more this gets made available on the streaming services, the more it's going to impact the cable bundle to the point where we could go down to 30, 20 million subscribers in this bundle. And if that's the case, none of these networks are going to be financially viable. Uh, Do I think ultimately it will go below uh, 40? Yes, I do. I think the age demographic issue. And as soon as ESPN decides to pull the plug and put everything uh, that they got in the uh, streaming service or the core sports they have in the streaming service, I think uh, you will you will definitely see the bottom drop out. If you were Bob Chapek, the CEO of Disney, would you sell ESPN now? Well, I think I probably would have sold it at an earlier time. I think you could see the decay of the EBITDA of ESPN over the next few years be quite precipitous. And I think any buyer as a result is going to look at that very differently than they might have a few years ago. And I think right now, you know, as much as they're pouring into the streaming service, they're they're needing that cash flow to uh, migrate to their all in strategy on streaming. So I think for both of those reasons, it's a bit tough. But what I was criticizing the street about when it was valuing Disney the way it was 100 points higher than today's price uh, was that they weren't taking into effect the decline of the linear business and how how it was going to be very hard for the streaming business to make up for that. Right. So if you're a viewer, a consumer, and you're listening to this and saying like, oh shit, is my favorite cable channel going to go away? Are we going to pare this universe down from the famous you know 500 channels and nothing's on to something like 20? 30 channels. Is that going to happen? And if so, which channels are going to be the ones left? Is it going to be only the ones that carry sports? Is it going to be the big juggernauts that have programming like, you know, Bravo or A&E or the flagships and all the other stuff that's just floating along is going to go away? Where where does this shake out? Where What would you bet on? Which channels? Well, you know, most of the channels out there are owned by major conglomerates that are all, you know, whether it's NBC, Universal, or... But that's been been part of the problem, is that they have been able to breathe life into these expansion networks and the spinoffs and all this stuff by leveraging the power of their franchise networks in order to get carriage for the other ones. But how long does that last? I mean, that's not, that's not, the the providers aren't going to play that game if the revenue is not there. And, you know, you're pointing to one key ingredient in this whole decline. It used to be the cable operator was an incentivized partner in the distribution of video channels. 
that that was an important business to them. For the most part today, cable uh, is valued on its broadband subscribers and its broadband growth. Right. The pipes, not the content. I, well, the key thing that, that, that from a consumer point of view, that Warner Brothers has as a tool here, which I think it uniquely has, is that HBO has always been the most celebrated quality channel out there. Again, one more Emmys than, than anybody out there. But it has always been a really hard channel for a lot of people to subscribe to. It's always had 35 million homes and a 100 million plus television household universe in the U.S. because you had to buy through a 100 channel package or you know a $100 cable package to get HBO. Now that's been unleashed. HBO is unleashed and you're able to buy it directly for 15 bucks. And you don't have to have your purchase tied to the bundle to finally get what is considered the highest quality television programming without it being tied that way, I think is one hell of a weapon that they have to drive the distribution there and get that thing in so many more homes than HBO ever was. But it's subject to the whims of the consumer a little bit more, like all these services where you can jump in and out of them, cancel, resubscribe in a way that it was much more difficult in the cable universe. I just think that the the future of those is much more challenged because of that fact. It was such a pain in the ass to cancel cable. Right. Um, if I was a cable operator and I looked at what these channels were offering these days, it's like you look at MTV, it's ridiculousness. All day long. If you look at A&E and all their channels, like they're repeating the same reality shows most of the time. The quality content has been sucked over to the streaming services. So they're being starved while just kind of milking the profits of the subscribers. Uh, that's not great for those cable subscribers, uh, for the for the MP, for the, the cable providers either. Right. Well, as you know, one of the biggest consumer complaints about cable was you had to take everything. You couldn't just take what you want. And while we're seeing bundles develop on the streaming side, they are of individual uh, elements of programming. And if you can find just the programming you want for $10 a month and get a few of those rather than $100 a month for all those channels you didn't want, it may be a far better way for somebody to zero in, still get their favorite programming, save money, and uh, uh, what's lost there is what you were saying in the beginning, all those homes you were getting paid for before that never watched you. Now you're just getting those homes where people do watch. Yeah, I'm I'm not thrilled that I'm paying Tucker Carlson's salary with my cable subscription fee. Uh, but who's going to win on the bundling? We all know this is ultimately going to end with a streaming service bundle, right? So who's going to win there? Apple? Amazon? You meaning offering a bundle of bundles yeah who's gonna crack the code and say listen here's seven or eight streaming services for one price get them all at a discount and get them all through our convenient interface that comes through your apple tv or fire stick that very thought brings back some real memories for me because uh when we started streaming at tivo to the television set before anybody was getting netflix or amazon on the tv I evangelized to the cable industry and I said, look, guys, the way for you to maintain your video business is to be the one place 
where people can search for everything, no matter where it's coming from. Every linear channel, video on demand that you offer, these new streaming services, what's on YouTube. We had the search. We had developed something called Universal Search on TiVo, and we had the interface, and you could find anything you wanted anywhere. I said, guys, you need to keep all of this under your roof because what will hold people to the service is the ease and convenience of having a video Spotify. Spotify people, you know, you get every piece of music there is. You can personalize it. You can search for anything. You get what you want when you want it. And while the same licensing of content model wouldn't apply to video, the same ability to have everything easily available, personalized to what you want, could have been available if the cable guys had listened to us. They didn't. They rejected that notion and said, we don't want to touch the Netflix of the world. We don't want somebody else coming in and controlling our interface, although we got the smaller cable guys in the country to buy into that vision, although the bigger guys wouldn't. So now you're asking the same question, really. And I think it starts again. And I've always thought Apple or Amazon will be the one to do this, of providing that universal search, providing a way for a consumer to know where you can find anything at any given time, because as you know, for the consumer today, the most frustrating experience is, I know I want to watch something, I have no idea where it is. And whoever captures that consumer proposition first, I think will be the one who leads and ultimately going to the bundles of bundles you're talking about. Right. I think they're already starting. All right. Tom Rogers, thanks very much for joining us. Appreciate the insights. Thanks for having me. Enjoyed it. Okay, we are back with the call sheet, my daily prediction. Craig, are you going to see Bullet Train? I sure as hell am. Oh, you are? Yeah, I like Brad Pitt, and he doesn't do movies like this, and it seems fun. I don't care if the reviews are average. The bucket hat got you? <laughs> yeah, those are big with my generation. I saw about 20 minutes of this movie at CinemaCon. Looked pretty good. Looks yeah. smallish. It's like $86 million budget. The, the tracking on it is $30 million for the weekend. This is a tough one because... It's R-rated. It's coming out kind of the doldrums. Uh, doesn't have much competition, but uh, I'm going to take the under mm. on 30 million. I just don't think it'll get there. This pegs me as the type of movie that won't do that well in the theaters, but the second it moves to streaming, a lot of people will watch it. Yeah, and it's 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 pretty violent. The stuff I saw, mm. uh, it he kicks some ass, but he's got a Lebowski feel about him a little bit like brad pitt is no longer the guy who kicks ass he's kind of the stumbling older guy that is reluctantly forced to kick ass the other weird thing about this is you know there's this famous swap that they did where sandra bullock is in this movie and brad pitt was in the lost city which came out earlier this year with her her adventure movie with channing tatum and when you watch the trailer for lost city brad pitt was all over that trailer yet when you're seeing when you're seeing the marketing for Bullet Train, you would never know that Sandra Bullock is in it. Now it's a smaller role, I'm told, but something happened there where Why she is at that? Least, she she may have like not allowed herself to be in the marketing. I actually don't know the story behind it, but if, if I had to guess, I'm guessing that Sandra Bullock and her people said, "You know what? We really don't want to be in the marketing. This is not her movie." Um, even though Brad Pitt was all over the marketing for her movie, and it helped. That movie did 100 million dollars domestic. 
Oh, it was a huge help. Last night, me and some friends, we really do this sometimes. We just watched a bunch of trailers for an hour and we watched the Wait, Lost- what? Yeah. You get together with friends to watch trailers? Well, no, we were just like sitting around the couch last night and it was like, we had an hour before we were probably going to go to sleep. And we were uh -huh. like, well, we don't have enough time for a movie. Let's just like cruise around on whatever site and like look and watch like trailers for movies. And we put on the Lost City trailer and most of the people hadn't seen it. I saw it on a plane. Uh, and when Brad Pitt showed up in the final 20 minutes of the trailer, everybody gasped, Brad Pitt's in this movie? Oh, we got to see this movie. Right. No, totally. And I'm assuming for a certain demo, the same would have been true of Sandra Bullock if they had showcased her. Now, I don't know that they didn't actually put her in some, some materials. I don't want to say that she was absent, but like I didn't notice her and I didn't really think about her being in this movie until I read a review of it. So something's going on. Sandy, you got to pay back your, your buddy Brad here. I know. Is that the peg? To, like, is Brad Pitt being in The Lost City, that's how wives get their husbands to go to the movie? And then Sandra yeah. Bullock being in Bullet Train is how the husbands get their wives to come? Listen, all of these movies now in theaters, they have to have something that is, quote, theatrical. That is all the studio executives talk about is what is theatrical about this movie. If you're going to do a rom-com with Sandra Bullock and Channing Tatum, you've got to add adventure elements so it feels bigger. It feels like something that is action-y and more expensive and, you know, theater-worthy. And then you throw in Brad Pitt. It's like, oh, there's another star that we can market and get wives to say, hey, bring your, you know, bring your husband. And the same is true for Bullet Train. That is, this is a male skewing movie, Bullet Train. And if they had put Sandra Bullock out there, maybe husbands would be able to say, hey, you know, your 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 best friend Sandra Bullock's in this movie. Yeah. I didn't like you shaming my trailer binging. All right. I apologize for that. That behavior is uh, I, I was insensitive to your it's viewing. The TikTok habits. of watching movies. You just scroll trailers. I, I will say that my six-year-old kid also does that, so <laughs> I'll just leave that where it is. Okay, thanks. <laughs> All right, that's the show for today. We'll see you next week. I want to thank Tom Rogers for coming on. I want to thank producer Craig Horlbeck, and I want to thank you. This episode is brought to you by State Farm. You might say all kinds of stuff when things go wrong, but these are the words you really need to remember. Like a good neighbor, State Farm is there. They've got options to fit your unique insurance needs, meaning you can talk to your agent to choose the coverage you need, have coverage options to protect the things you value most, file a claim right on the State Farm mobile app, and even reach a real person when you need to talk to someone. Like a good neighbor, State Farm is there.